Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here, and I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. 40 Strategy was created to help companies from startup to 40 million and beyond to envision a new future that they're capable of hitting, but more importantly, helping them design a plan to actually get it done. Go to 40strategy.com to learn more. Before we talk about our guests, we'd like to do a little shout out who helped introduce our guests, which is Mike Michalowicz. Mike Michalowicz is a wonderful author, an incredible entrepreneur, and uh, he we are actually part of the Profit First community as well. And he helped introduce us to Darren Verasami. And uh, Darren's actually, if you look at the, those who are watching on YouTube, there's a book, Clockwork, which actually Darren has talked about in the book, is one of his stories in there. And we're so happy to have Darren on as a guest today. Before we talk with Darren, we'll just share a little bit about his bio. He is the co-founder of 34 Strong. He's a public speaker and someone who is obsessed with seeking personal greatness through connection with nature. Uh, he is complete, he's uniquely positioned to help those in corporate America and individuals reach the potential desire that they have. He works really hard on his own personal development. He has hobbies, passions, a crazy personal life, which I've loved hearing his stories. He's already told me already in our couple of prep talks. He is a husband, father, an avid bassist who he told me he, he's lives down in Barbados and he's actually going to be playing this evening, which that's why I think we moved it up a little bit. So want to make sure you get there on time. And uh, he's also a black belt, which is pretty awesome. Not my first black belt guest, by the way, but uh, you want, I think my second, and he is also just an incredible person to have be our guest. Darren, welcome to the Measure Success Podcast. Hey, Carl, great to be here. Thank you so much for, for, for having me on board. And yeah, and big shout out to Mike Michalowicz, great guy, and the whole Profit First world. We're, we're disciples of that as well. It's been game-changing for our business. Absolutely. So, all right, Darren, let's get kicked off. What is 34 Strong? What do you do? 34 Strong, Carl, what we do is we, we help to create great places to work. So we take what's called a strengths-based approach to human development and we focus on creating great places to work by actually moving the needle on employee engagement so we help if you think of traction the the eos system that many business owners are familiar with that's an amazing system that's focused on the process tasks setting up okrs and setting up those systems if you think about it we're the people side of that that creates the culture that allows people to be really engaged in their work so they could show up, really bring their best and really move the needle for the organization. And this has ripple effects for corporations on the bottom line. It has ripple effects onto just productivity and how people are actually staying together as well within the organization. So that that's what we do. We, we really create that culture and focus on creating long-term sustainable culture within organizations that's that, that's focused around engaged employees. I was so excited when we got introduced because I'm also a Gallup certified strength trend and I've been doing this for 15 plus years, but as a certified only for a short period of time. But what I love about what StrengthsFinder does and what you discussed is when you can help individuals be more engaged, they're going to have a higher quality of life. 
they're going to be more engaged in what they do. It doesn't just help them in their work setting. It's going to help them also in their outside setting, because as much as we want to say that work and personal life is separated, they're completely intertwined, you know, and what happens on a regular basis. And so I, I'm curious when you run into an organization for the first time, and they've not done this. So they've done other surveys, but they've never done StrengthsFinder. What makes StrengthsFinder or Clifton Strengths unique compared to other type of certifications that are out there? Yeah, it's a great question, Carl. So the Clifton Strengths assessment is a talent measurement tool. It gets lumped in as a personality profile tool. That's actually not what, what it is at all. There's other outstanding assessments out there. We, we, we think DISC is great, Myers-Briggs. Those are ones that, are, that many people are familiar with. And there's a host of other ones that are outstanding personality you know, measurement tools. Clifton Strengths is unique in that when we look back at the history, Dr. Donald Clifton decades ago asked the question, what's going to happen when we focus on what's right with people instead of fixating on what's wrong with them? He committed the next four decades of his life, Carl, as you're familiar with, to studying why, basically how talent exists in people. And he wasn't studying, hey, how good is your shot on the basketball court, right? Or how good of a painter are you? He was studying talent through the lens of what are our natural patterns of thought, feeling, and behavior that can be productively applied. So after going through nearly a million people across the globe, as we know, what ended up emerging was there was these 34 buckets of talent, they're called themes, that exist in all humans in a ranked order from one through 34. And the whole thing is, Carl, what I love about it is the talents are measured and our, our top 10 are truly where we most are naturally gifted. That's where we're most naturally likely to find our zone of genius. But here's the thing, those talents for you accountants out there, they can be our greatest assets or greatest liabilities, right? So we've got to learn how to use them, how to calibrate them. We, we can actually overuse our talents or underuse our talents. Some, some talents, I'll give an example of this, might be really execution-centric. One, one, one talent that comes to mind from the Clifton Strengths assessment. It's a very common, common Clifton Strength theme. It's called Achiever. This is a theme that loves to get things done, has the to-do list, loves to cross things off the list, is a ball of energy in getting things done. Oftentimes is setting the pace for production, loves to start the day at zero, sees what I've gotten crossed off my list and is going. And that's great. That brings a lot of focus and energy to the table and getting things done for a team. One of the watchouts for the achiever strength and others that might be a little bit more execution centric could be can't say no, can struggle to, to, to say no to things, right? Can say yes to too many things. Sometimes it can be perceived as, hey, work and getting things done is more important than people and relationships. That's just one example. But the way that, that that's how the Clifton Strengths assessment is very unique. And then when we roll that up, into an organization, there's really powerful insights that can come together for how we can align those and actually have a lot more assets than we have liabilities on an individual side from a self-awareness standpoint. And then when we move it to a team awareness standpoint. Yeah. I, I appreciate you talking about there's the talent side and the benefits, but there's also that other side where it can be a detriment, right? You know, my number one is responsibility. And so I, I've been a pretty good employee over the years, right? Because 
they know when they, it's a sign of responsibility to me, I'm like all in, you know, I, I won't sleep at night unless I feel like that's moving forward and, and getting done. However, if I'm not responsible, Darren, I don't care. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's one of the challenges, right. That I have have with things are people are like, well, I don't care. Like it's like, it's not my responsibility. And the other problem I have is I'll sometimes take on too much. Right. And, and then as a result of that, I, I get overwhelmed because I take too much. So with each one of these strengths, which is once again, is this tried and true thing that has worked for me for so many years. It's like on the other side behind it, there, there is that negative where I have to be aware of. And it's very, I think that's the value is being aware of that strength and minus. Let me talk about another thing that has been brought to me. I think that has been really, I think valuable to know in terms of strengths is, is the energy part behind it is that when it's the top of your, it brings you energy versus things that aren't. They kind of take away energy for you. Like you have to take a nap afterwards. Can you give a little more, more depth about what that means and in, in, in being in tune with your strengths versus not being in tune with them? Yeah, I sure can. That's a, it's a great question. Going back to, I, I, I want to just say something about that responsibility piece because that is so common between both the strengths we've talked about, responsibility and achiever. We can say yes to saying no to things, right? Like actually weighing weighing those out because to start with, we can end up putting ourselves into overdrive. As you said, we can burn ourselves out and going down that path where we're feeling like we've taken on too much. And here's the part. So going back to question about the energy versus exhaustion, there's two ways to look at this. The first way is through the lens of one of those strengths using yours responsibility. What initially energizes us when we overuse it can actually come to exhaust us, can actually get us to a point where we self-inflict the burnout, self-inflict the need for the nap through the lens of our strengths because we overused it. We said yes to too many things. We said, well, 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 Carl asked me to do that. So I said, yes, I'm gonna do it. Even though really the return on time invested, the roti, as I like to say, the return on that time invested doesn't align with me actually doing it, it aligns with saying, hey, Carl needs this. I've got four other team members that are far better suited to take care of this for Carl, but I made that commitment, so I burned myself out. So that what initially was energy, because I'm trust building and building a connection with you, Carl, ended up turning into exhaustion. Now, the other place, so the other way that we can find ourselves in a space that's not in alignment, for instance, there, there, there's, there's strength, one of the strengths, some, some strengths really bring an incredible framework for problem solving, right? So they step into any situation and they naturally assess what are the problems, what are the potential problems, what are the risks that we could be dealing with. And there's, there's a couple of strengths that look at that from, from different angles. For instance, restorative is one of them, deliberative is another one. There's a few that naturally play in that space. So for me, for instance, those two strengths are actually in my bottom five. Those are in my 30 through 34. Those, when you look at your report, those are not my zone of genius. So when I am pulled into conversations and I'm feeling like the only thing being seen 
are the negatives and the problems, and that's all that's being talked about. But yet I can see that there's a plethora of really great opportunities. I feel exhausted. Feels, it feels like the wind's blown out of my sail because one of my strengths that brings me energy is maximizer. It sees what's strong and it wants to build upon what's strong. And here's the thing. It's not that I don't wanna be aware of what those problems are and what those pitfalls are, but if that's all we talk about, it feels as if we're missing the greater opportunity. And here's the fascinating part. So somebody that's really strong in those strengths, and I have team members at 34 Strong that we've intentionally brought in that have those two strengths really strong, they're gonna cover my blind spots because they're right. gonna ask questions and go through, and I know that. So I, I actually intentionally call that out because even though it's exhausting for me to do that, I, we, the way this works in teams and even in relationships, right? Like with a spouse or with a child or with a parent or with friends, it opens up the door to I might put out, hey, this is what I see. Here's some of the opportunities. Here's some of the excitement that I see that I'm going through. And I'll intentionally call out, okay, throw all the problems at it that you see, and let's do our best to shoot this thing down. Like take this thing down, find out why this doesn't work and hit, hit with the questions. So what that's doing is it's moving us into a place on a team side. I talked about earlier, the self-awareness side. I'm self-aware this is me speaking, that that's how I'm naturally not going to be. And it's exhausting if that's the only thing that we're talking about. I'm team aware that there's others on the team that are going to relish in the chance to go through that. And here's the thing, Carl, they're not negative at all. They're equally aligned with getting to the outcome that I want to get to. They're looking at it from a different lens and trying to make sure that we're taking precautions or weighing risks. And for some strengths, if there's some strengths are more risk averse and some are a little bit more risk tolerant. So some might bring, well, have you thought about this? Or this could be a risk. And it's like, well, that could be a risk, but that's one that we're willing to take. And there's going to be other times where they can raise the red flag on risk and get you thinking like, well, I'm actually not willing to take that risk. But them naturally thinking about that can cover my blind spots. So when we can find those that cover our areas of weakness, we can far more effectively manage that. And guess what that leads to in the big picture of organizations and within culture? Engagement. It leads to happiness because instead of me forcing myself or a leader forcing themselves to be who they're not and empowering others on their team that bring those areas of their gap, it helps them to then actually create a culture where people can shine can be confident in where they, they shine and confident in where they're blind. So we can own our strengths and our weaknesses equally. That is ultimately what strengths, a strengths-focused organization is actually about. I love that you brought up that part around it of, of the, you recognized that you didn't have a couple strengths in certain areas. It's in your bot, you know, bottom, bottom four. However, you look to find or you, you know, within your own team, other who had that strength. And that's, there's two things I like to talk about well, is, is learn to delegate, right? Or bring in team members who, who when we, we know we have to bring this in for proper thinking, whatever it might be, right? Whatever the different area is, when we don't have personally have that strength to think that we're going to be great at it is unlikely unless we're bringing in team members who have that strength. The other thing I've mentioned beforehand is I call it gamifying. 
tricking your mind a little bit to overcome a weakness to do a strength. Are you familiar with that concept? Yeah. So can you explain a little bit what that may mean of helping individuals out who have quote unquote weaknesses, but try to use their strengths to overcome it? I got a great example. So when we were first building 34 strong years ago, we're at the, t- at the time of this recording, we're just over nine years old. So my business partner, Brandon Miller and I, would, you know, we would attend in our region, we'd attend these networking events and all that, right? So for me, there's a, there's a Clifton strength called WOO. It's the only one that has an acronym and it stands for winning others over. WOO for me is not a top strength. I'm good connecting with people, but I do far better in smaller settings and going deeper and, and love conversations like this and in smaller groups and really digging in. So we'd attend these networking events, large scale events, and we'd have to go through and I could just, I was like, oh my God, this is exhausting, right? Like, cause you gotta go and you gotta go grab the shrimp and make small talk and this and that. And I, thankfully I've learned techniques, which is my bridge learned. There's a Clifton strength called learner, which I did have in my top five actually. So it was a talent of mine, okay? The learner strength loves to learn new things. It loves to learn and then actually get up to the point of where it can learn it and apply it and go through. One day when I was preparing to go to one of these events, it hit me like a ton of bricks. You could turn on woo and you don't have to consume liquid woo, which happens at a lot of these events. Carl, I think you've been to, you know, people are having their vodka and their martini and that's liquid woo. And all of a sudden they they come away alive. And as a musician, I've seen lots of that over the years. I'll tell you more about that later, watching people consume liquid woo and then all of a sudden being the super connector. So they think learner for me, one thing that I've always had a passion for when I, when I think back to the, the enjoyment of having individual conversations of getting to know people, learning about people and their stories and who they are and what they're about. That's always fascinated with me. So the way that I was able to show up strong in these events was when I actually reframed it as this is a clean slate of wide open learning. I'm mm-hmm. getting to go and connect with people and I'm gonna learn about different people their backgrounds, what makes them tick. Some people might be more engaged. Some people might be less engaged. And that took me down the path of, well, what are some really powerful questions that I can ask to keep the conversation going and getting people talking and and, and, and keeping things moving? And when I reframed it through a lens of something that I I, I had always had a passion for through one of my other strengths, it got me to the same outcome that I wanted, which was connecting with people. But when I didn't think about it through the lens of, oh gosh, you gotta go and get something on your plate and go talk to people and try and network and all that stuff. It was just a complete shift. And guess what? It allowed me to show up far more authentically as who I am. And it didn't, I, I never really showed up like in those meetings, like trying to you know close a, a deal or make a sale at the time. I was just connecting with people and learning about them and just saw where that would lead. And over time, nine years later, some of those very conversations have actually led to business. Many have led to great contacts, great other networks, people that I can introduce and be a trusted advisor for. So there's been so much value to that, but it came from the reframe in the situation and asking what's the outcome I need to get to? How can I get there 
with these tools and what are things that I could do to leverage that. And I have to share this because if anybody else feels this way, here's a huge hack that both my business partner and I found as well. Those with woo and those outgoing strengths that are gonna naturally see who's left out, great hack, go to an event like that, get some food, stand on the sidelines and watch the ones that are moving through and just casually make eye contact with them. They will come to you. They will then go out and introduce you to everybody because they don't actually want to necessarily connect, stay too long because they have to meet the other hundred people that are there. But because they've already met 20 of them, they'll say, oh my God, Darren, have you met this person? And next thing you know, you've dropped in and you're finding your way into those places. So my business partner would actually split up at these events and do just that. And it always worked because we knew Clifton strengths always. I, I love that. That's a great hack, by the way. And it's what I love, Darren, what you brought up there is when I'm, when I'm going through strengths runner with people, I will talk about woo as one of the examples of gamifying, because if woo is down there, try say, so how do you like going to weddings? And they, they almost get white, you know, like, like, you know, like they, they petrified in shock. It's like, yeah. no, I, I am not going to a wedding. And cause they have, it's not in their DNA, right. That they're not, if they're related and they know a few people like, Oh yeah, I'm going with a friend, which means they're going to latch onto that friend, the entire wedding. Right. You know, or maybe they'll introduce one or two other people, but they're not in no way naturally. Mm-hmm. And, and another thing I, when I see people with high achiever, a hack, I'll be like, okay, this is a checklist for you. You need to meet 10 people today. That might have really exactly. low move, but if they're high achiever, 10 people, and all of a sudden it becomes a game. Exactly. And, exactly. and so I love that once again, changing the frame, the mindset. So you actually are successfully completing what you do. One of the things that when I go through this, it's a really common, <laughs> if I'll call it problem, people get really upset when they find something at 33 or 32 and they're like, oh, I'm empathetic or I'm, I thought it was this. And I have to explain to them, you really are not that you're a different talent that you think it's, you think of what it is, but how do you help people out when they're like, well, I need to really work on that. Let's say they have a get, and I'll use empathy as an example. Let's say empathy is down near the bottom, which by the way, happens to be for me really, really low. <laughs> for me is, is where my empathy is. I, I, got, I got a story on that for you, but yes, go on. Well, yeah, please share. Cause I'm, I'm curious of like, when you hear that story of somebody who's like, I need to fix this. And it's like, I, I always have to explain that. I feel like they're going down the wrong path. What do you, you you've been doing this way longer than I have and with much more depth. What do you do when somebody is trying to fight a weakness? So first and foremost, it's about understanding what that word is. Empathy is a great example. This comes up very often because what we actually think the word means, what we, for, for everybody listening, if you don't know Clifton Strengths and you hear the word strategic, you have a preconceived definition of what strategic is. You hear the word empathy, you have a conceived notion of what it means to be empathetic and when that shows up really low, that's what we're aligning with. So there's a there, there, there's cognitive bias that is there. So the first step is actually digging in and understanding, well, what does the Clifton Strengths version of this actually mean? And let me take a temperature check and figure out if that's actually me. And reminding them that their greatest opportunities for growth and excellence, which is 
Dr. Clifton's perspective is to invest in your areas of strength, right? When we focus on that, that is where we have the greatest opportunity for human excellence. In our areas of weakness, we can grow it. We can invest in that, but it doesn't mean that we're gonna get those top shelf results. And if you wanna choose between excellence and mediocrity, where are you gonna choose? That's what it boils down to. So empathy, let me, let, let's walk right down that path. Empathy for me, is in my bottom five as well. It's, it's, I think it's 32 or 33 for me as well. When I first got my results, I was dumbfounded because I was like, I am empathetic. I try to put myself in other people's shoes, understand where they're coming from and work through it. And this is me as somebody who's been doing this for about a decade now and has built a company around this. But when I took the assessment originally, didn't stick. It was, it was really hard until I really ripped apart what the Clifton Strengths assessment of empathy was. And then I was very clear as to why it was where it was at. And it made so much sense. So in the traditional definition of the word empathy, I am empathetic. I do those things. I try to put myself in other people's shoes. I listen. For the Clifton Strengths definition of empathy, of when we're defining that talent, it's very different. Somebody who has the Clifton strength of empathy steps into a room, Carl, and they're like a thermostat. They're like a thermometer. They can feel viscerally. And when I say they can feel the room, I don't mean they look at people and they can say, oh, that person looks a little off. I can see that. I'm running through a head process, analyzing it, and then getting to Carl, is everything okay? Somebody that has empathy, if I'm really upset, they're going to step into the room and they can physically feel the weight that I'm carrying and what's going on. They can physically feel the happiness, the euphoria that somebody else is carrying. I don't feel any of that when I walk into a room. I can own that. I can read people's faces and I understand it up here and in asking questions and evaluating, it moves from here to here, but even when it does move to, from, and for those of you that are listening, you can't see what I'm doing, my head to my heart. Empathy will feel that at the heart level and then have to determine what it thinks about that in going through. So for me, in the traditional definition of the word empathetic, I'm doing those things very much from a head level, taking it in, asking questions, being supportive, going through but I'm not actually feeling it physically. And in fact, even when I understand where somebody's at, I'm still not gonna carry the weight of feeling. My wife, on the other hand, she's a top five empathy. She's like an emotional thermostat. She steps in a room, she can feel what's going on. My chief of staff, Aaron Harrison, absolutely incredible for our team. She carries that strength really high. There's certain elements that we have in, 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 in the business, Brandon Miller, CEO and myself as the COO, Aaron is incredible at taking that pulse on the team and then working through the adjustments that need to go. I'm going to miss some of those things because I'm not going to naturally just, oh, that, that still feels a little off with somebody. So when that was clarified, it made a lot of sense to me how we can be empathetic, but yet not possess the Clifton strength of empathy. And I will work through my other strengths to still be empathetic. In that, in that way. And, that, and that's just me speaking about one, because that's a common one that comes up, but all of them have that. It's important to drill down and, and, and try to figure out 
what those pieces are. And that's also why it's really helpful to connect with, with, with the coach and going through it. You know, Carl, I know you have a really strong background because they can walk you through. I'm sure you've had to do this with many of your clients. You can walk people through that and you're not convincing them. You're turning the light on and let's validate what's real and what's not real about this assessment. But sometimes when it's clarifying the actual interpretation of the strength, it's like, okay, yeah, that, that is valid. I, I get that. Yeah, I, I get amazed once you dig in how the understanding just happens very quickly. What once once they understand, once they go deeper, and and help you help them understand once again of their perceptions of they thought it was one thing, but from a Clifton Strengths perspective, it is not. And and but other than that, like nearly all the time, their strength side, like the natural ones that come out, they're almost always like, oh, this was right on. Like I I the, the assessment is so pure. You know, you get some people in some of the other what I, we call personality assessments, and 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 people are like, oh, they could have gained that or, or did this, and that is not my experience when people come out with with the way how they got. Because how, Darren, you would know this, I don't. Roughly, how many people have done Gallup Strengths Finder uh, testing? It's, Do you over, have any? it's it's over over twenty five million people, wow. and 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 the validity of it is is pretty prolific because Gallup really takes everything to the nines. And it's different also because you only have 20 seconds to respond to each statement, right? So it's, it says strongly agree on, 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 it, it, on one side, it's, it's got one, one, one piece on the other side, somewhat like me, not like me. So you've got this, this scale, sorry, I was talking about Q12 there for a minute, right? Which is the engagement measurement, but you've got this small scale and you're rating where, where you're at, you know, like I, on one side, it says, I like a lot of variety in my work on other side might say organization. And you might be dead down the middle or you might say, well, usually I'm kind of both, but if I could pick, I like variety a little bit more. So you, you might pick to that side of the scale and you only have 20 seconds because it's going for your top of mind response. It's not going for, well, what did work Carl think? What did dad Carl think? What did husband Carl think? What a vacation Carl? It's looking at you in your essence in a compressed amount of time. What is our natural response? And that's how it flushes away the gaming side of it. And there's 177 of these statements that you have to evaluate on. Yeah, yeah. No, it's yeah. I, I, what it's once again, it's one of the things I really like about it is is like. When somebody's about to take tests, no, really, you actually need a real 45 minutes and you need to shut down and not get interrupted because you need to be focused when you get this done. And because of the time sensitivity of it, you know, they miss a question. It's gone, right? You know, it's, exactly. It's, it's gone. gone. It's gone. And, and you can miss you can miss several and still have a valid test result. I don't recall what the exact number is. I, I believe it's actually over 15 you can miss and Gallup still is able to provide a, a reliable result on that because of some of the testing and retesting that they have within the 177 paired statements. So Darren, this is clearly going to be have to be a part one and part two, because we can go on and on and on about, about this. And so just, of course, my key question in your business at 34 strong, how do you measure success with your clients? Well, it's interesting in the fact that a big part of our measurement is moving the needle on employee engagement. So it's, it's, we measure employee engagement. We, we, there's different, different survey assessments that are out there that can do that. One of the ones that we utilize in parallel with Clifton Strengths is Gallup's Q12. And that, that is 
to give just a nugget of what that is, is Gallup spent 25 years not, not doing what we do in stay interviews. Is why are you leaving? Carl, why are you leaving us? They actually spent 25 years studying why the best employees stay. And it boiled down to 12 simple statements that are found in the Q12. So we use that and it's a weighted version. So people get into this idea of like, oh, I'll just do a spreadsheet and do it. That's, you're, you're not actually getting anything valid out of that. So save yourself the trouble um, and, and get on there and, 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 and grab that if you're doing it for your team. But we use that as a foundation with organizations because strengths is not the end all be all of what we do. It's a piece of the puzzle in moving the needle on engagement. So the engagement scores moving is part of how we define client success. And on that note, Carl, what I will say is one of the things that we share with our clients is we are not the change agents. Mm. You are. Yeah. You have to create the buy-in within the culture. We're going to work with you. We're going to roll up our sleeves. We're going to train your team. We're going to empower them. We're going to coach them on the shifts that need to make through the subtleties, the nuances of our own individual Clifton strengths and members of the team to get things in alignment and going through. But at the end of the day, our goal is never to be an eternal consultant of like having to run the management training programs and stuff. We actually want to get organizations trained up that stands alone on its own. And we stay on board more of a, as a strategic partner that's helping in the cultural design as things are shifting on a macro level and, 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 and then helping to design the next wave of things that are going through. But really having that stickiness take place and the movement of engagement scores in the, in the right direction over time. Yeah. Uh, that's, that, that's ultimately how we're measuring our success for our clients and, and for us. It, it keeps us aligned in that way. Love it. And I love the clarity and it's measurable and it's something that you focus on. And I also love how you talked about it, is that this is about, they themselves have to be engaged in this process. Your clients have to be right. They have to be in all in, otherwise it won't work. And, and I'm a big believer in that as well. Right. You know, it, it's as much as I want to have, and I am right all in right with the client's success and support. If, if it's not them at the end of the day, buying in and, and acting, because we're not there every day. You know, you and I don't get the opportunity to walk their halls every single day and yeah. all the different daily interactions, which make or break how things work from a cultural perspective as to why people stay. And so I love that. So they were going to be really brief on this side and unfortunately too brief just because of our time constraints. Darren, you, one of the things you've done in your life, it, I always like to ask people, what habits have they created in their life? Cause you're a busy person. I mean, you, you're, you're literally in music, you know, you have your family, you have a business that you're running, but also you became this black belt in two different disciplines uh, within karate, as you mentioned, and then mm -hmm. pre-call what I'm just curious, what did karate for you specifically do from a mindset perspective that changed who you are today versus when you started doing it? So the context on that is I went back to martial arts as I was building 34 strong. So I trained as a child in one of the Japanese disciplines that I studied, Aiki Jiu Jitsu. I trained as a child, stopped, got busy with other sports, college, did Kung Fu in my twenties, stopped. And then after 34 strong was started, I wanted to get my daughter back into just some basic self-defense classes and stuff when she was little and, and we were having fun. That was our little Saturday morning date morning. She'd go to her class. I'd, I'd watch. It was parent participation and it awakened in me. Like I want to get back to this. 
So martial arts, getting back in to karate and then training in Aiki Jiu-Jitsu at the same time, that has been within the past seven years, which was in my tenure in starting 34 Strong and building it because the company is now just over nine years old. It has been absolutely the greatest training as an entrepreneur that I could have had having that physical side matching what you have to deal with as an entrepreneur, which is being able to get your butt kicked and handed to you and having to get back up and do it again and keep doing the same few moves over and over and over and detailing them and getting to the point of finesse to the point of where it moves from a thought out process to instinct where it's as natural as breathing and, and how we move and how we flow. And the habit of going through just the, these pieces and these rhythms, whether it was in, in, in sparring techniques or if it was in katas or learning a throw or a scissor kick that I, I just kept failing at over and over and over, it conditioned resilience. It was a gift. And I feel like as an entrepreneur, as a dad, as a husband, just as a human being, this was my way to actually do something that I could suck at and get better at mm-hmm. and continue to suck at. I think we, we live in a, in a world where we've gotten comfortable with being comfortable and growth does not happen there. Growth happens when we can get comfortable being uncomfortable and getting our butt handed to us once in a while, dusting it off and going forward. And mind you, some of the people that were handing it to me, are dear friends. Like they would throw me or they catch me with something and I get up and be like, wow, go give them a hug. Like that was awesome. Show me what you did and where I was open and, and, mm-hmm. and how that, that happened. So resiliency was conditioned, the ability to work through and get up and, and, and keep moving. And, and, and I wanna be mindful of this. It's not the cloak of resiliency because we hear these things if you just have to dust it off and just keep moving. What gets missed is you gotta deal with it. You can't just dust it off and pretend like it didn't happen. Like things happen and you got to use those pieces. Karate taught you how to accept that, to feel that, to learn from it and cover that, but not that step. I feel like gets skipped a lot of times where it's just, well, you just deal with it. What does that actually mean? Karate taught me and conditioned me very much on a physical, mental and spiritual side to sit with the dealing with it and accepting that that's a critical part of it. You don't just jump from here to there, but actually sit with that for a moment, work through it, get clarity in thought and in spirit to getting to the other side. That has helped me to work through becoming a much better leader and entrepreneur. It's given me the permission to be vulnerable, to own when I've made a mistake with a team member, with a business partner, with my wife, with my children, being able to say, hey, you know what? I was out of line. I I messed up. Dad did not show up at the version of himself that he'd like to be. And the same lessons that we try to teach our children of trying to be their best self, we have to own it when we aren't our best self as well. And karate has given me permission to do that because sometimes when you find something that you can suck at and then get better at and still have moments where you suck at it, it's okay. The final thing I'll say is attaining a black belt. The most common question I got after I got a black, after I attained my, my, my black belt, what next? What are you going to do next? Mm. And it, it, it's in, 
it it's the essence of so many things i feel like in our working world and in our society at large check the box that's all we do we check the box and it's on the next thing but what gets missed especially in the discipline of martial arts and karate and the style that i've studied kyokushin and and, and aiki jujitsu that's what i studied but i've loved learning from other martial artists i've trained with several the part that gets missed, Carl, is we get so caught in checking the boxes, we don't actually get to relish and continue learning from that. So for me, when I got a black belt, it wasn't about I checked that box. It was just the beginning. It reminds me of the mindset that I had to get into that journey and the work that I need to keep doing on myself as a human being. It's reminded me as well that yes, I've attained this, but physically I have to keep doing the work. I do the same katas and which are the forms that you do and the same movements that I did when I was a white belt. And we're all close with that. The only difference between a white belt and a black belt is a black belt is a white belt that never gave up, that kept mm. on going. Mm. And that is such a metaphor for life because when we get stuck, we want to tap out. And that's exactly what martial arts has been like, but we have to keep going. We have to keep working through and we have to accept what actually sitting with whatever it is that we need to deal with leads to. But when we actually clear that out, it provides a very clear path to get there. But sometimes it takes a little longer than we thought. Fantastic. I, I loved that explanation that talk about measuring success in life. You wrapped in so many different elements behind that. Darren, that has been incredible. So I so much appreciate you sharing that. What is a book that you'd recommend for our guest? So a book that I would recommend for our guest here is um, I really like a book written by my business partner called Incredible Parents. For the, for the parents that are out there, I know both you and I have talked a lot about being businessmen, but in many ways, the family's family first and then then business right and it really helped me to see through a lens of talent some of the things that i could do as that i might be doing well in business that i could also apply into the lens of parenting and it's even helped me in understanding my role as a leader in business and taking some of the skills that i might have as a leader in business and how that actually applies in parenting and in going through so it created this really amazing bridge that was super beneficial. It, it's beneficial to, I mean, my business partner has children at all ages. He's got adult children all the way down to, you know, 11 and 12 year olds, seven kids they have, and now they have grandkids. It's seven kids all together, no, no adoptions, no twins, no, none of that, but it's applicable at all seasons of parenting. And that, that's been hugely beneficial. And one point that I want to make sure that I mentioned for your listeners, when you were talking about measuring success personally, we talk about OKRs, EOS, all this sort of stuff in our business. Set them in your personal life. For me, real simple example here. I live in Barbados. At a minimum, our family catches three sunsets per week. That's a simple measure for me on the personal side as to how well I'm doing with the family side or if I've had, hey, we haven't been even able to catch three sunsets or take three walks together as a family in the week. I'm probably a little bit out of alignment and I need to catch my calibration. That's just one. We have other ones. 
I also have one for bass playing, how many days a week that I'm able to at least touch the instrument. Sometimes it might be for five minutes. Sometimes it might just be holding it and just thinking through things. That aligns. Darren, fantastic. And I love you bringing back an example of like something that's measurable that you can do and that is holistic, right? For your family of how it's a sense of cohesiveness and being together. Absolutely fantastic. Darren, I hope you have a great concert tonight. It has been a pleasure. Real quickly, where can people find and learn more about you and 34 Strong? Yeah, they can connect with, with me personally. Feel free to reach out. LinkedIn, Darren Verasami is where, where I'm at. 34 Strong, we're at 34strong.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn and Facebook. We're, we're in all those places, but feel, feel free to connect there. You can also learn more about me on the personal side and see my TEDx talk on the connection between nature and excellence at natureadvantageshow.com. That's a whole podcast that I ran through the pandemic that, that talked to five-time Grammy award-winning artist, Mike, Mike Kalowitz, a Wall Street Journal bestselling author, and many, many others in between from all sorts of disciplines on their practices and excellence. But it was research for my TED Talk and it was too interesting. So I just kept kept talking and kept kept the conversations going. So Love it, Darren. Thank you so much for being a guest. And I look forward to our future conversations that we're going to have. So thank you very much. And to everyone else who's lis listening, wish you the very best at measuring your success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.